Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you. Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient, the book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 bestsellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I am Mary Fran Bontempo here with my partner in crime, Kristen Smedley. And today we are bringing you a guest whose story quite literally took my breath away. I, <laughs> this is Dr. Lisa Gear, And when I read about Lisa's story, I, I literally like fell back in my chair completely exhausted because it's that overwhelming and to see what her story was and what she has created from her life after that experience that she had we are blessed today to have her with us so Lise I am so happy that you're here and we want to just start off we usually talk about this reset rise and reveal of your brilliance I want to start off with you telling us a little bit about who you are now and then go into your story um, because we want to know how you got there great Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here this morning with um, two brilliantly resilient women. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. So I am a clinical psychologist in private practice and I'm an author and keynote speaker and blogger, wife, mother, and friend. My story begins when I was four years old. I was uh, on vacation with my family of four it was our first night on vacation and my mother decided to uh, start a barbecue for to cook our dinner. We, uh, my, I was standing right next to my mother as we were on this um, porch in this beautiful cabin in New Hampshire. Mm. She went to pour lighter fluid on the coals. It didn't light. So she poured more lighter fluid on the coals. Turns out it wasn't actually lighter fluid. It was a highly flammable household solvent. So mm. when she went to pour some more on, it uh, exploded in this giant whoosh uh, surrounding me and my mother. And my mother, um, God rest my mother's soul, took one look at this situation and realized the only way to save herself was to run through that flame and down into the lake that we were near. And that's what she did. And she left me in it. So I was four trapped, abandoned, on fire on this porch. And my father figured out a way to come around and get me from behind, he reached up and he was able to grab me and um, hmm. threw me in the lake, could save my life. But that started my lifelong journey as a burn survivor. I was burned two thirds of my body, third degree. At the time I didn't have a, a, a lower lip, a chin, a neck, and my arms were fused to my body. And I've been in a lifelong journey of recovery from that, as well as quite a lot of other things. But I'm going to pause here. And well, now you see everyone why when I heard Lisa's Lisa's story, I, I, I literally my jaw dropped to see the woman that you are now. 
after such incredible trauma. And you know, a couple of things can happen when you have a child, I would imagine going through something like this. It either destroys them or given the fact that children probably have more inherent resilience available to them because they don't think about it. They just do it. Uh, whereas we, you know, as adults tend to have to process this whole thing and, oh, what am I going to do? And blah, blah, blah. And the kid just does it. The way you have, this is your reset clearly, but the way you have taken this experience and then risen from that is going to be a little bit different than what we talk about because it started when you were so young and a lot of it was just inherent. So how did that process for healing begin and then at what point, or was it always, because again, you were so young, was your mindset of, I have to move forward and make something of this? Sure. So I would say my healing has been a lifelong journey. I can imagine. <laughs> be- between physical recovery, which, you know, recovery from severe burns is an incredibly painful, sort of the most physically painful process. Actually, doctors would consider it to be the most painful process. Mm-hmm. So, and I've had somewhere between 40 and 60 operations. And I don't know how many because my family didn't count. Mm-hmm. I am still having operations. So physically, that is a lifelong journey of recovery. Emotionally, it has also been a lifelong journey of recovery. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of therapy. I've had a lot of other people help me. I've had wonderful friends who've come through for me and other family members. It was very challenging for me because my parents were not emotionally equipped to be parents of anybody really, let alone somebody with the kind of problems that I had. I, you know, I know from watching your presentations that both of you are really, um, attuned and devoted mothers, I did not have that. Mm. But what I did have was other people. I had an older brother who was essentially a parent to me. I had a grandmother, I had a grandfather, and I've had lifelong friends and they have lifted me up. Wow. You know, you're making me feel so much better saying that because I've been on this divorce journey for four years and, and uh, I have been banging my head against the wall over the fact that my children's father kind of went off the rails and just has not been the parent that we were, I was able to maintain him as when we were together saying that as politically correct and nicely as I can. Right. I know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) So many people have said to me, as long as there is one person that is solid in a child's life and my, my kids are are teenagers, they're older, but one person that's solid, they'll be okay. And I, I have trusted that. And you are giving me confirmation of that. So thank you for doing that. Let's keep going. Yeah. We talk about a tribe and that can be a lot of different people. And, you know, whether we're seeking them out or somehow they are landing in front of us, as long as you keep your eyes open to that, those can be the people who, as you said, lift you up. So yeah, yeah, by all means, continue with your story. Well, just just to follow on, on, on what you were saying, one of the big lessons in, in my story, which 
I, I wrote in my book, Flashback Girl. But one of the big lessons in there is that some people are very disappointing, but there are many, many good and wonderful people out there in the world. And we'll lose sight of them if we're just focusing on the ones who are disappointing us. Oh my gosh, exactly I love that. Right. I'm scribbling as fast as I can to write down what you just said. Exactly right, Lise, because that's what I was doing for a while. I was so, and you know, actually a, a, a phenomenal man that I dated for a while said to me, Kristen, your biggest problem is you have phenomenal parents and you're expecting everyone to be that phenomenal. You know, like he's like, there are just some, you say disappointing, he said crappy. <laughs> <laughs> And you just have to learn to deal with them. And I did, I just had to say, you know what? It is what it is Mm -hmm. and move forward. So I'm so interested to hear more about this from now I'm thinking from my kid's perspective too. Well, and I would ask you this, was there a part of you? And again, probably not when you were very young, but was there a part of you that had to like consciously forgive your parents for not being the people that you kind of needed them to be before you could move on? Or again, was this when you were just so young, it just kind of came naturally? Because as we get older, we do, like Kristen said, we have to make these conscious decisions to let things go. And when we're children, we just live in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I think when I was a child, like probably every child, I still was hoping to get what I wanted to get from my parents and the support and the... um, Um, well, the support that I needed. And I think like many children, I kind of kept hoping that, oh, maybe this time they would come through or that time they would come through. It was Mm -hmm. as an adult, as I matured and, you know, had help and became a parent myself that I realized like these people are who they are. God bless them. It's probably not easy for them to be who they are. And I need to have a realistic appraisal of what they have to offer me, which is not much. (laughs) On the other hand, again, there are a lot of people in my life who have a great deal to offer me. You know, we mentioned our mutual friend, Lisa Gage. Um, We have a very funny story, Lisa and I, the way that we became friends and we had met at school, that kind of thing. But the way that we became friends is she walked down my street, she was lost. Oh my and I walked out, I'm like, hello, Lisa. And she's like, I'm lost. And <laughs> we became friends. She wandered onto my street. Wow, that's not a coincidence at all. It is no. not a coincidence at all. Wow. And there's a lot of that in life if you're looking for it. But you can miss it, again, if you're focused on all the people who've disappointed you, if you're still trying to get what you can get from them, as opposed to like, look around, like who, who's there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally agree. There's actually a quote from, you know, from watching my TED talk that my two boys are blind. And there's a quote from Helen Keller that is along those lines saying that if you, when one door closes, if you spend so much time staring at that door that's closed, you miss all the other doors that are open to you. Yes. Why do we do that, Lise? Why do we stay? I pound on the door. <laughs> I go get for the door. <laughs> open dang it (laughs) I don't know why we do it but it's a very common problem you know and it's certainly one of the things that I work on with my clients is walk away from the door well and and (laughs) let's be clear about who this person is like you've seen them do this this and this 
And then you've seen them do this, this, and this, oh, 10 more times. Yeah. At what point can we just expect that they're going to do this, this, and this, and that's it. Yeah. I love what you just said about having a realistic appraisal of what people have to offer you because, you know, clearly we, we want those close to us to be able to fill the needs that we, we think we have that only they can fill. And that's a misconception as you so eloquently pointed out through your brother and your grandparents and other people who were there, other people can fill those needs, but you have to stop trying to get blood from a stone for lack of a better way to put it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as you moved forward and you had all of these, all of these surgeries, like what was life like for you as a child? So terribly disfigured and, and emotionally burdened. I mean, to honestly, to see you today and to see the not only um, stable, well-rounded person that you are, but that you, well, yeah, I was going to, you know, I always say that to myself. Yeah, yeah, I'm stable. Mm, sure I am. <laughs> In this five minutes, I'm stable. Don't, don't see me now. I don't know what's coming next. But, but to be able to then help other people, like how did this evolve? How did you get to this place? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, so I will start with, yeah, I, I think it can be difficult for people to imagine how I went through childhood because now I look pretty good. Again, the wonders of modern plastic surgery, I'm still burned. Like once you're burned, you're burned, but you know, they can make you look better and better. But I was like hideous hmm. as a, in elementary school. And I was teased and, and, and mocked and bullied a lot. Back then, you know, this is the late 60s when I was growing up, and I, I don't know how old you are, but back then, there people didn't even pay attention to bullying. It was just sort of, you know, there was no intervention. Teachers didn't do anything. Yeah. Parents didn't do anything. It was, certainly my parents didn't do anything. It was just nothing. It was just something that you endured. So there was that. On the other hand, I am a pretty resilient person and 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 some of the traits I think that make us resilient are inborn. I'm cheerful, I'm sunny, I'm friendly, I'm optimistic. And so I was always able to make friends, even though I was like really ugly, I was always able to make friends and had people to play with and hang out with. So so there was that. Over the course of time, you know, as I matured, I I thought about doing all kinds of things with my life, but I came to being a psychologist, I think really very much in the hope to understand what resilience is and why some of us make it and some of us don't. Yeah. I will say that my, my older brother, who I mentioned earlier, who really what functioned as a parent to me, very tragically took his life oh, when, my. when he was 19. And if you were to look at him and me when we were kids, you would definitely think that he would be the one who would have made it. And he was brilliant. He was wonderful. And that me, like this ugly, disfigured, hideous person that everybody bullied, would not make it. And instead, it was the other way. 
And so that question of like, how do some people make it in this world and some people don't mm-hmm. has been kind of the driving force in my mind. And how can we help people who aren't making it? And that, you know, that's how I wound up doing what I do now. So in your work, did you uncover things that are different between you and your brother that answered that question? So I've, you know, I've researched this a bit and I, and I talk about resilience at you know, various places that ask me to speak about resilience and I write about resilience in my book. Mm-hmm. There are a number of kind of cognitive habits Mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, from people who are resilient that seem to be key. And so I developed a little mnemonic for them and it's goals plus m M&M. So the G is for gratitude, the O is for optimism, A is for active coping, L is for love, S is for social skills, and M&M is for meaning making. And resilient people tend to be pretty good at all of those things. That's so interesting. And we've, and I mean, how many times as moms do we say our kids are so different? They are so inherently different. Yes. Yeah. And there are, I mean, I'm thinking of my own kids and I have one of my three tends to be the more, you know, um, looking at the negative spin where my other two are more positive. And I am always working with him, infusing that gratitude in there to help with making him more positive. And he's come a long way with that, but that's very interesting. I have four brothers too. I'm going through <laughs> my kids and all four of my brothers, like ping, 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 ping. <laughs> yeah. So, it, give, give me that, give me that rundown again. The, the, the first, give me that. Um, the, 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 sure. Divisions. So, so it's goals plus right. M&M, gratitude, optimism, active coping, love, social skills, meaning-making. Meaning-making, okay. So when I say meaning-making, people who've gone through something, and again, that's all of us here, right? People who've gone through something at some point need to find some meaning that they're gonna make out of that tragedy. It doesn't mean you find that meaning right away. Like in the middle, while you're going through it, you're just trying to get through it, right? But at some point, it's important to be able to look back and say, I learned something from this. I can do something with this. This has improved me in some way. You know, like for example, for me, the meaning I make out of sort of the multiple tragedies I've been through is that I am, I'm a very empathic person and I can sit with people's tragedies. I don't care what you've been through. There is nothing that's going to shock me, throw me, or nothing that I can't listen to with my open heart. Mm. That's the gift of having gone through a lot myself is I can really be there for people. And so I've used it, my tragedies. I mean, I don't talk about my tragedies when I'm working with somebody as a psychologist. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not what our work is about. But it helps me be there for people. And then... Now, you know, with my book, I'm, I'm, I'm really putting that out there for as many people who are interested in reading it saying like, look, life is hard and we all go through terrible things. And that doesn't mean that you can't endure and get better and build a beautiful life. So that's the meaning I make out of you what know, I'm 
was it's trying so to help. interesting that you say this because um you know Kristen has her situation with with uh, Mitchell and Michael and has turned into an advocate Yes. And in my situation with my son, David, who, um, you know, struggled with substance abuse, addiction, heroin, alcoholism, all that for many, many years, I've turned into an advocate. And, and both of us, I think, maybe unconsciously, and you've put a phrase to it that's so helpful, that meaning making. Both of us have realized that if you just sit on it, it's just your pain. But if you, if you, as you said, learn something from it and then take it out into the world and try to help other people, then there's, then there's meaning to it. And I, I don't know that there's anything better. If there's any better advice for people with their challenges, except maybe Kristen and I talk about being of service a lot, look for a way to take that and serve. Yes. I, when I was giving my example, I was already thinking that I'm, I'm telling you something that you already know. You may not have put it in those words, but you already know that. And, you know, with my, with my clients who've gone through terrible things, at the very least, what people will say at the end of it is, oh, I'm a much more sympathetic person than I used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like that you say meaning making, because I'm one of those people that I like to live in purpose. You know, I like what I went and did the, the purpose driven life because I wanted to know that I got it right. <laughs> I like to check boxes and I like to be right. Right. <laughs> so I want to make sure, you know, purpose and all. But and, and I, I'm driven more by doing things of meaning and making meaning out of things that happen than I am of just a little message here and there that you can crochet on a pillow. Right. So to that point, I didn't realize that you know, the, the blindness diagnosis of my boys, I had thought for a decade that I was supposed to then, you know, be able to go find the tools for them. That was my purpose to raise two blind children. What I realized when my daughter was in her early teens, that whole thing was more about me as, as being a, a really good mom, because I learned that when my hopes and dreams were crushed for my boys, and I took them out of the equation and just followed their hopes and dreams that carried to my sighted daughter. And it was put to the test when she walked away from soccer. I am a lifelong soccer player and had dreams of the American team for her, right? She walked away and went to a different sport that I knew nothing about. And in that moment, I realized that that, that diagnosis that crushed me made me the mom I was supposed to be, not necessarily just a mom of two blind children. So I've been able to take that and then be the advocate that I am now that Mary Fran's talking about. And through my divorce and other relationships, I also realized the meaning in that was I had to really unpack trust is one of my core values. And I align everything with that now, but you're right. It, and I, I so, I am so grateful that you said not in the middle of it. You don't find the meaning in the middle of yes. it. Yes. Oh my gosh. You survive in the middle of it. Yeah. In the middle of it, you're just trying to get through the day. Yes. I'm so happy you said that instead of yeah. let's look at this and let's write this down, just get through the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is so essential because you don't, you know, people don't take that time to pause. I mean, it's, it's a very delicate balance. I think that whole idea of finding meaning because we are told that, Oh, well, what's the message in this? Okay. The message is I got to get to bedtime. That's the message. Like, and still, you know, survive all of this. So I think, you know, to echo Kristen's sentiment, you have to give people permission. Like, don't worry about that stuff right off the bat. Yeah. Get right. through what you got to get through. Is that something that you convey now to your patients? Like, let's just get through this and we'll figure it out later. 
Sure. I, I mean, when people are in the middle of their crisis, I'm talking to them about things like sleeping, eating. Like literally we start with that, right? Are you sleeping? Are you eating? And then it's, did you get outside? Mm -hmm. Have you gotten any exercise? That Those basic self-care things, which again, I, I don't think I have to explain to you women, when you're in the middle of a crisis, those, if those things are going, then you really don't have much of a chance to get your feet back on the ground. So a lot of it is about basic self-care in the beginning. And then, you know, we build from there. Yeah. You're exactly right. talk about that. Yeah. That building idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause that, uh, you know, for me, I wish I would have met you four years ago, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really enjoying meeting you this morning. I'm I'm a little money, <laughs> but I didn't realize how important that foundation was because I am such a solver. I just want it solved. I want to get to the finish line and get on to the next thing. I want it to be over the crisis, you know, into the new marriage, somewhere else other than this pit. I just went out and I didn't realize how me trying to solve that problem, which was multifaceted, as opposed to just make sure you sleep, make sure you get back to running, make sure you do this, would have been, would have saved me a lot of time and hair. <laughs> <laughs> my hair ended up falling out, but it would have saved me a heck of a lot of stress if I would. And I'm hoping that, you know, I'm laughing, but I'm hoping that our, our tribe that's listening really hears that when there's a crisis, you really, if you start from, am I okay? Am I healthy? And what do I need to do to get healthy? Your mind just falls in place better. And then you can start solving those problems. That's something that we've learned. I've learned, especially over this year of doing this show, during the pandemic, when it was like crisis after crisis in my, in my house, in the world, you know, just coming back to center um, and making sure that our health was okay. And then just taking those baby steps. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that you said that. It's so important. And it was funny, Kristen, I'm reminded last week because I was feeling, you know, just a little overwhelmed by having, by good things, like good things were happening too. But I was like, oh my God. And Kristen said to me, you need to go take a nap. <laughs> I was like, you know what? She's totally right. I need to go take a nap. Mm -hmm. So I think when you give people permission to incorporate in that into their lives in, in the beginning, you know, in the, that crisis mode, hopefully it carries through to everything. Recognize that that basic idea of you as a human who has to take care of your physical and mental state is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and none of us can solve terribly challenging problems if we're not sleeping, not eating, not getting exercise and fresh air. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah, we'll yeah. bring our best selves to those problems when we are well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now I want to move on to, I mean, we could probably, we literally could talk to you all day, but I want to talk about the book because Kristen and I have both written books. And um, first of all, it's very cathartic. Kristen always says we've done this show and it, with the intention of helping other people, but it's really fixed our brains, you yes. know? And I think that's partly true with, with when you do write your story and write a book, there is a part of you that, that you get to process all those things in a way that maybe you, you hadn't before. So tell us about your book, you know, what your intention was in writing it and, and how you're hoping people will perceive it. Yeah, thank you. So my, my book, Flashback Girl, 
Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor. Just came out this fall. And it is the story of my recovery as a burn survivor, as a child of well-meaning but narcissistic parents, as the survivor of multiple family suicides, and how I built a beautiful life. So each of the chapters in the book, just so you know, has a little lesson at the end that is kind of pulls back from the content of the story and says, okay, reader, think about this in terms of a way to help yourself. Think about this lesson for resilience. Think about this lesson for you. Lessons about friendship, lessons about parenting, lessons about taking care of your health, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So my intention in writing it was, was twofold. One, as you're saying, Mary Fran, it was time for me to write out everything that I had been through because it is actually an incredible story. I mean, it just is. If I, if I lay it out for anybody, they're like, oh my God. So, <laughs> so it, it just needed to be written. Um, and the second thing was that, again, I know that no one would have thought a person like I was could have the kind of life that I have now. Mm-hmm. And I think that many of us are capable of great resiliency but we need to know that it's possible Mm -hmm. we need to have role models we need to have hope and also if we love someone who's going through something terrible we need to have optimism and hope for them so the book is for everyone who has suffered having said that I hate to make it, I, I hate to make it sound like a bummer because it's actually a, a quick and engaging read. And people say like, once they start it, they can't stop it. So it's, it's also uplifting and hopeful and entertaining. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know, you, you have kids now, you said, right? You're married with kids. How many kids do you have? I have two daughters. They are 24 and 22. And my oldest daughter actually just recorded the audio book for the book. So she's not. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. That just dropped. Yeah. Oh, oh that's, that's fantastic. fantastic. Are they still in school or are they out of school now? My oldest daughter is the actress and my younger daughter is getting her master's in occupational therapy in, in Philadelphia, Jefferson. So oh, wow. they're, they're both amazing young women. Um, I mean, well, I well, think they're so. quite a role model for, for how to go about life and, and rock it as a woman. So <laughs> I, I can imagine that, they're, that they are incredible women with you in their life. What a great story. Lisa, this has just been, um, and I called you Lisa. Lisa, this has been, um, I can't even begin to tell you how uplifting this has been. And the, the ultimate message of hope that you present is one that we try to present to people. And when we share stories, first of all, nobody has a story like yours, but when we share stories of people who've been through great challenges, it's, it's always amazing to us how many things we hear that everybody has in common, that those threads of the people who have risen above that have in common. And you've put words to so many things that are important to us. So I thank you for that. Um, and now I want people to know where they can find you so that they can get some more of your wisdom. Great. And before I say that, I just want to follow up on something you said there, Mary Fran, which is that I, another reason why I wanted to write this is that I think most of us hold our stories of trauma and disappointment to ourselves. 
there's not a lot of frank and open sharing these days mm -hmm. about what life is really like. You know, mm -hmm. we're all like this and that on, uh, on social media. And I think most of us hold back the really hard things. And when we hold them back, other people don't get to know that you can get through really hard things. Exactly. Good point. So, um, that was something else that I think is really important is at least when we're able to, to be honest about what we've been through so that other people know it's possible to get through stuff. Okay, so mm -hmm. uh, you asked about how to contact me. There's, there's a couple ways. I'm, uh, my website is my name. It's leastagear.com. I can spell that or would you like me to spell that? Or we'll put okay. it in the comments. Yeah, we'll put it all, we'll put it all in the comments and everything. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So that's my, that's my website. I put out a um, bi-weekly blog on topics of resilience that you can sign up for there on the website if you wish. My book, Flashback Girl, is available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or for local people around here, some of the local bookstores. Awesome. I would love it if when you publish that blog, if you'd share it in the Facebook group. Great. Every other week. That would be phenomenal. And, and those of you that are listening that aren't in our Facebook group, get in it. it. It's actually called the Brilliantly Resilient Community because it is a community of people lifting each other up, shouting out prayers if people need it here and there, um, sending fun stuff. And, and these, these tips and stories of resilience would be magnificent when you publish them. Can yeah. I ask, because some of the things that I write are more kind of the more academic stories and some of the things are more personal stories are you we, we have some smart people who will understand the academic stuff so put it all out there <laughs> okay no I wasn't thinking that people wouldn't understand the academic stuff I was thinking that maybe people wouldn't be as interested in the personal stuff oh they, you know, they, they love both okay great yeah, thank you yeah. for the offer I will do yeah, that yeah. Yeah, by all means. So um, everybody, uh, just again, thank you, Lise, for, for sharing that story. Everybody, please go and follow Lise, because as you can tell, she has so much to offer, um, both in terms of resilience and hope and all of the things that we like to talk about here at Brilliantly Resilient Live. So um, do I have anything to add? You always know what I'm supposed to add. Yes. So will everyone just go to brilliantlyresilient.net and you can blink three times and up will pop this lovely message for you to sign up to receive our information. Each week we have the brilliance bits that come right to your email inbox every Monday morning that you start off your week with one real quick shot of brilliance to get you through the week. Sign up for that and you can find all of our other programs and the podcast, everything there. So if you missed anything today, brilliantlyresilient.net. Okay, Thanks, everybody. everybody. Please. Kristen always keeps me on track with all these things. I can't remember half of them. So at any rate, thank you, partner. Thank you, Lise, for sharing your brilliance with us today. Everybody tune in next time for another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live, and we will see you all soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.